0: Well, how's it going, everybody? It's your boy, Beard Ecclesiologian. Guess what? After our long winter's nap, we're back. Took a couple weeks off Christmas, New Year's, school things, and we're back at it. All right. This is episode number 12. That's a dozen of the Beard Ecclesiologian podcast. Of course, I am your host, the Beard Ecclesiologian, KB Paxton. This is the podcast in which we explore all things church, all things ecclesiology, because we need more teaching about the church, not less. I'm here. You are here. Thank you for coming back. My beard is here. I'm drinking today a cherry vanilla Coke Zero. You guys, it's almost too much for the pal to handle. I mean, Coke Zero by itself Is the best drink that there is. And then you add cherry, delicious, vanilla, also delicious, together in one. It's almost too much for the palate to handle, but I'm drinking it. Got in my five souls cup right here. It's nice and cold. And so we're going to jump right into our topic today. So several episodes ago, you may remember, we talked about a topic that has been pretty relevant over the past few years, which is virtual church. This is, of course, the idea of attending, I put that in uh, air quotes, you can't see because this is radio, not TV, attending church via the interwebs, whether that be on Facebook or YouTube or a church website or whatever. What did we conclude? We concluded that virtual church is not, in fact, church. Now, we did say that there are exceptions such as being sick you know being in quarantine being physically unable to attend being on vacation things like this right like providentially hindered but these exceptions are just that they're exceptions they are not the rule exclusively doing virtual church and never or rather rarely never or rarely gathering bodily in person with a church you have covenanted with is not only unbiblical is detrimental to the person who is ironically devoted to not gathering with the church because being on virtual church is not actually going to church. So much is lost when we do not gather, as we've noted previously and on many other episodes before. So we talked about that. We reached conclusions from scripture from the very nature of the word church, and we were done for the time being talking about that. But then, what to my wondering eye should appear? But Craig Groeschel and his eight tiny reindeer. Okay, he didn't have reindeer. But something came to my attention. See, I'm still in the Christmas mood. Which was Craig Groeschel, who is the pastor of Life.Church. That is the name of the church, Life.Church. And he had an announcement of Metaverse Church. Metaverse Church. (laughs) If you've heard of the metaverse but aren't familiar with it, you might have maybe just heard a little bit about it, connected with Mark Zuckerberg, who is the CEO of Meta, aka Facebook, and all the platforms it has overtaken, such as the Instagrams and the Whatsapps. Zuckerberg has talked much of how he wants his platform to be the way people connect, and. You'll notice I put connect in air quotes and wants to have a whole metaverse. But Mark Zuckerberg, as Buzz Hickey from the great show community said, is Fidel Castro in flip flops. And he's proving that more and more, isn't he? I'm kidding. Of course, he's not Fidel Castro in flip flops. Or is he? Or am I? So what about this idea? Kidding, I mean, of metaverse church? Is this biblical? Is it better than virtual church? Is it actually church? Is this the future of how the church will be? And, you know, dinosaurs like me will be left behind this trend if we don't do it because this is how church is just going to be in the future. Is that how it is? Well, I want, let me read you what Life.Church site says that the Meta Church is, and then we'll talk about it. All right. How's that sound? Sound good? At the top, in big letters, it says, we brought church to the metaverse. We brought church to the metaverse. And in the background, it's not that ominous, but in the background, you see, like, a picture of some digital people standing in this funky digital world. Then it says this. I want you to check this out, okay? At life.church, we will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ, to reach people no one is reaching, will do things no one is doing, end quote. We'll come back to this in a moment, but here's the description of what this even is. Maybe you're asking, Beard Ecclesiologian, what are you talking about? What even is Metaverse? Okay, here's their description, okay? And I quote, The Metaverse is an online world where people can socialize, work, and play. you attend church in the Metaverse, You're able to experience it in a way unlike any other digital platform. All the people you see are present with you at the same time in the service. You talk to them avatar to avatar and hear their real voices. You can even see their facial expressions and body language. One-on-one digital conversations take on a whole new meaning in virtual reality, end quote. So essentially, what you do is you buy a headset, you download an app on your cellular device, and then you sign up to attend, that's in quotes, you can't see me because this is radio TV. a service, and then when the time comes, you put your headset on, you enter a virtual world, you virtually walk into a virtual lobby, and you virtually see other virtual people who are doing the same virtual thing, and then you go into the virtual auditorium, and you virtually sit down in your virtual seat, and you watch the service on the virtual screen. Do you see... On the Instagram post announcing that you have uh, you have various comments the, the, the Instagram post announcing this like from another pastor, Carrie New Wolf. He says this is amazing. Of course you're there. Followed by speaker Christine Kane saying just wow and then there's three fire emojis. So what do we make of all of this? Is this amazing? Is this just wow? Is this three fire emojis? Let me first say, I am sure Craig Rochelle is a nice fella, and God bless him. I'm sure he means well, also. This is not me trying to denigrate Rochelle or trying to make fun of him, all right? And I'm not totally sure he would care, right? Or ever even know that this podcast exists, but I'm convinced and I mean this, okay? He has best possible motives, all right? I think he wants people to know Jesus and grow in Jesus and he wants to reach people with technology that's out there leveraged for the things of God. Okay, I do believe this. I also believe, as you might be surprised, that he is wrong. Metaverse Church is no more church than virtual church is church. You're still not there. You're still not known. And you miss very important biblically mandated things when you do things like this. Now, when he says that we will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ, I'm not going to cringed a little bit, all right? Because, see, on the surface, this seems a commendable goal, right? I mean, do anything we can to reach people for Christ. And as a caveat, which basically says, well, not anything, right? We, we won't sin to do it, which hopefully means they won't like forsake biblical principles for the sake of reaching people. Like you know, um, change the message, or you know, don't talk about sin and repentance or uncomfortable things to reach people. That I don't think they're trying to do that. But but here's the key in that mantra: I think just because something is not sinful, does not make it wise or prudent. Okay, Let me say that again. Just because something is not sinful does not make it wise or prudent. Something can be simultaneously not bad, not a sin, and unwise. Something can be simultaneously not a sin, but unwise. It's not sinful to have a diet of only cheese pizza, right? It also isn't wise. It's not sinful to scroll through Facebook 14 hours a day, but it isn't wise either. We can say the same thing with church. There are many things a church can do that aren't sins, but aren't wise and will lead to all kinds of bad consequences eventually. This is what the attractional model of the church has taught us. We were willing for a time, and some churches of course still willing to do whatever it takes to get people to come to church that we began to create to do what was pragmatic primarily rather than what was biblical. Okay. Now, this isn't to say all churches who are pragmatic are, you know, wholesale unbiblical, but it is very bad to primarily be pragmatic rather than primarily be biblical. And actually, you know what? I mean, pragmatism. It doesn't really belong in the church. What does the Bible say? That should be the main thing. And Christ should be the main attraction. I see the roots of these bad. I see the fruits of these bad roots all the time in church realization. Churches for years use the attractional model to get people into the church. We're willing to do to compromise to keep them. And then they had a dysfunctional culture because the old adage, adage proved to be true. What you win them with is what you win them to. Churches for a long time were willing to do whatever it took to get people in the building. And friend, let me ask, you look at the landscape of present day American ecclesiology and, and let me ask, what's that gotten us? What it's gotten us is a lot of unhealthy churches with unbiblical ecclesiology And a lot of undiscipled consumers, I'm sad to say. That's what the attractional model gets you, okay? Again, the the main goal isn't what works, but what the Bible says, okay? Again, the motivation is good to say we'll do what we can to get people in the church. But once it's attractional, once it's entertainment-focused... Once it's the main desire is to placate consumers and customers rather than disciple members and win unbelievers and then disciple them, that's a problem. I mean, that creates unhealthy cultures, and I see, the, I see this bad fruit of the attractional model all the time. Because the goal wasn't faithfulness for many, not for all, of course, but in numbers, attendance, budget, activities, programs, etc. And the same thing was said, let's do whatever it takes to reach people, but at what cost? This is what I'm afraid we see here. Whatever it takes to get them, that's what we'll do. But what will Metaverse Church do to people? It will fool them into thinking this is a real church that is sustainable for the Christian life, but it's not. Biblically speaking, the very word translated church in the New Testament means the called out ones and an assembly. If you don't assemble, you're not a church like child toys. Assembly is required. One of the most slam dunk passages of the necessity of gathering is 1 Corinthians 11. Paul repeatedly says, when you gather as a church, I mean, how do you get around that? Another slam dunk is Hebrews 10. We're commanded to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And the author of Hebrews meant something very specific with that assembling language. Friends, Christianity is fundamentally an embodied religion. We just celebrated Christmas, which is a celebration of what? that the second person of the Trinity literally came down and became incarnate. Jesus wasn't an avatar. He didn't send a lookalike. He wasn't a ghost or a spirit. He didn't subcontract the incarnation out. He literally took on flesh and dwelt among us. And on the heels of this, he founded the church and says himself and through his apostles, this is how you live the Christian life embodied in community, known to others, held accountable, helped to grow, helping others to grow as members of the body, using their gifts for the good of the whole. Hey, there's another slam dunk, First Corinthians 12. We're called members of a body. What do you need to be a member of a body? Physical attachment, partaking of the Lord's Supper, discipling, baptizing, on and on we could go. This is what Christ and his Apostles in his word have told us the church looks what it looks like to grow as a Christian, what the Christian life looks like. Like, I know that metaverse church is seen as somewhat a, of like a step up from virtual church because with virtual church, you're like in your living room or in front of your computer or on your phone or whatever, and you're just like watching the service like it's a TV show. But with metaverse, you create this avatar that looks like you and you could see other like remember what i read from life.church's explanation you get an avatar that looks like you you can see other avatars of people in the lobby or the seat quote next to you and you could talk to them and you could hear their voice you see their raise their hands and and whatnot so what they're saying is you could see other people and interact with them in a virtual lobby but it's really their avatar now you might say as they do. Yes, it's an avatar, but you can hear the voice and their avatar makes faces. Like, you make faces and you know there's a real person behind there. that avatar, right? You know there's a real person. It's just an avatar, but on the other side of that, you know there's a real person behind that. And this might sound like a silly argument, but this is what I thought of. So, something like Call of Duty, right? The, the video game. You know the video game, Call of Duty. It's like a military shoot-em-up video game. Not something I'm into, but... A lot of dudes like this, and, and and ladies, okay, I just want to be, I don't want to be sexist, I want to be inclusive. And these they run around a virtual world, and they're shooting each other with virtual guns. It's not real, it's fake, right? It's virtual. No one really dies when one player shoots another. This is true. But those dudes or gals also know that there's a real person behind their Call of Duty avatar. Like, there's a real person embodied somewhere also playing and shoot the avatar that represents them. And you know why they can do that and feel nothing? Because they know the avatar isn't really them. Do you see where I'm getting with this? Uh, We know there's a person behind the avatar, but we also know the avatar. No matter how lifelike, no matter how much we make it look like us, we know it's not actually them. So we put on our headsets, walk into a virtual lobby, in a virtual church auditorium. And, man, we know deep down we aren't at church. And we know those avatars aren't really those people. And we know we lose a lot by doing this. Like I said, I don't play Call of Duty, right? I'm not into that. But I do play NBA 2K, which is a basketball game. And i played online before. I don't do it very often. I don't really like it. And when you, when my virtual dude, okay, I have a virtual dude. I have an avatar. He has the same name as me. He's five inches taller than I am in real life. And he has a purple mohawk. And when that dude pulls a sweet crossover on some other player, that virtual player falls over on their keister. I know he doesn't need to ice up his ankles later. You know what I mean? Because that's not really him. <laughs> Just as, that's not really me. I don't have a, I don't have a purple Mohawk. That'd be sweet, but I don't. I'm not six six or six seven or whatever. I'm also not a point guard for the Denver Nuggets. It's fake. Something is stripped of our humanity in the online world. This is why people can be hateful and ugly and trolls on Twitter and Facebook saying things they would never in a million years say to the person to their face because the digital world strips us in some sense of our humanity. This is bad. The Metaverse Church gimmick is, is well-intentioned, but it's wrong because you lose so much by not go- being at church you're committed to. Now, think about it. When you're absent, no one will know, <laughs> right? No one will ever check on you. When you're sad or depressed, hurting, and you're wearing your heart on your sleeve, and you go to church anyway, no one can ask you what's wrong if you're an avatar. Because they can't tell. Can't be held accountable. People can't be observing your life and seeing when maybe, we all have blind spots, don't we? Maybe you're walking off the the wrong path. They can't see that in you and grab you and put you right on the right path. You can't hold you accountable. Ugh. Can't take Lord's Supper. It's just impossible to take outside of embodied presence. I mean, it's called communion. I mean, I saw, I saw somebody. I can't remember who it was. They tweeted just had communion in my living room with like a cheese it and a high C or something, something goofy like that. And I'm like, my man, you said communion and you were by yourself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, the madness, the absurdity. That's not the Lord's Supper. And again, that Paul passage, First Corinthians 11, where he's talking about when you gather, context of Lord's Supper, communion. You can't take Lord's Supper if you're not embodied. You can't be baptized or, or see others baptized. And speaking as a pastor, I'll tell you, I lose something when I can't see the faces of those I'm preaching to. Like, you know, for those couple months when everything was shut down at the beginning of the COVID pandemic and it was just virtual and it's just me like looking at a camera in an empty auditorium, like I lost a lot. Not being able to see the faces of our church members. I, I lose something in the preaching. Not being able to feed off of or react to the facial expressions, the body expressions, the voices of the people who are in the congregation. Knowing who I'm preaching to and knowing the context I'm preaching in and being able to see their faces, there's nothing that can replace that. I'm telling you, nothing. But again, I, how do you obey the one another commands of the New Testament if you don't physically gather regularly with the church you have covenanted with in membership? How do you use your spiritual gift? How do you get held accountable? How can someone know you're in sin and help you out? How can you be helped through pains and losses? Church is communal by nature. We need that community. We need the embodied presence of being in one another's company. Of sitting across the table from the same person we heard sing God's praises in the gathering. The same person who heard the same sermon in the same room as you. That you could discuss how God's word preached hit you this way while it hit your brother or sister in Christ another way. We need human presence. We need to be around people different than us who have nothing but Christ in common. We need to be hugged and shake hands and pat it on the back. All of that is gone in the metaverse and in virtual church. Something truly beautiful and gathering with the church we've covenanted with and, and serving them and, and, and bearing with them and, and hearing their voices in person and being in community with them We may want to escape from the reality and pains of life that the metaverse provides, but we don't need it, and I'm not sure we'll benefit from it. The church has been just fine. Marching along the last 2,000 years was plain preaching, plain gathering, ordinary faithfulness, ordinary obedience, Christian love and service and deeds. Jesus is enough to attract For ecclesiology, the metaverse church is a disaster. I'm not sure it's worth the risk, and I'm not sure it's actually going to be the so-called future of the church because I think the COVID pandemic has taught us that people need to be around people or there are negative consequences. People might be into it for a while. I think they will. It's very convenient. But I have to believe at some point they're going to realize how unfulfilling it is spiritually and how Christ and his word have a better way for us to grow as Christians, which is through our embodied presence and devotion to a single local church. All right, it's time for that part of the episode quote of the week. This is from Rediscover Church, which I have quoted before, and it is a book I recommend that you pick up. Uh, this is a quote. It's by Jonathan Lehman and Colin Hansen. Gathering with the church can be inconvenient, but so is love. Relationships are messy, but so is love. Vulnerable conversations are scary, but so is love. The push towards virtual church, we fear, is a push to individualize Christianity. It trains Christians to think of their faith in autonomous terms. It teaches them that they can follow Jesus as a member of the family of God in some abstract sense without teaching them what it means to be part of a family and to make sacrifices for the family end quote Mm, that's a good and that's a good and hey I hope you enjoyed episode number 12 Beard Cleans podcast I would love to hear your thoughts on the meta the metaverse church or anything else we've talked about or if you have a suggestion or a request for a topic to be covered on a future episode regarding ecclesiology, hit me up. Do me, uh, do your boy a solid. Subscribe. Give the podcast five stars. If you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode. Give the podcast five star- stars on the uh, the Spotify's or the uh, Apple podcasting app. Tell your homies and tune in to future episodes. We will cover all things church. If you have a question or a suggestion about ecclesiology there are a couple ways you can get that to me if you look in the show note there's a link at the bottom that you can click and send a voice memo with your question or you go to kvpaxton.com and perhaps we'll cover your topic in a future episode so thank you again for tuning into the bearded ecclesiologian podcast see you next time when we explore more about the church because we need more teachings about the church not less See you then.